God has something for us this evening. In the book of Colossians, the second chapter, verse 8, and we're going to read down through verse 14. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him, everybody say in him, not in them, but in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete, everybody say it again, in him which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And there's a little grammatical note there or a sign, a colon, that means what's following. It explains what the circumcision of Christ is buried with him in baptism. Wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Nailing it. Everybody say that with me. Nailing it to his cross. Father, we thank you for the word tonight, and we pray for that a word to go forth and with anointing accomplish what pleases you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. You may be seated. The gospel, the plan of salvation, we know it as the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And that was a type and shadow to come of our dying out to sin and repentance, being buried with him in water baptism in Jesus' name, and being resurrected to walk in newness of life through the infilling of the Holy Ghost. But verse 13, I want to look at that for a moment, and I'm not going to talk a whole lot tonight about baptism or the Holy Ghost, but I do want to mention something that is so important that it is the will of God that every person on the face of this earth do it. And that's called repentance. Repentance. Verse 13 says, and you, everybody say, that's me. Being dead in your sins, that means repented of our sins, Jesus took it, what? Took sin out of the way, nailing it to the cross. The term nailing it, and I'm titling my message tonight, nailing it. I want you to understand that a lot of people, you know, this phrase, we've heard it said before, boy, he nailed it, or he hit the nail on the head. The expression, he nailed it, 
I was reading where that originated. I, I, I get interested sometimes in little phrases and axioms that we use, and I wonder, well, how did that ever get started? And Brother Don, I got to looking at some uh, study on this, and according to Green's Dictionary of Slang, this is the origin of that expression. To nail something, among many other meanings, is to do it very well. For instance, wow, you really nailed that debate last night. This slang dates back to at least the 70s, according to Green's Dictionary of Slang, and in order to successfully drive a nail into a surface, it's not enough to simply hit the nail head. I've tried that before and didn't hit straight on that nail head and it would knock the nail and it would bend the nail and I have hit the wrong nail before. Anybody else ever done that? I heard about a guy one time, he just recently got the Holy Ghost. He used to have a pretty uh, extensive vocabulary, if you know what I mean. He was a roofer working with some other guys that knew the kind of life he used to live and he came down with a hammer to hit the nail and he hit the thumbnail instead. And when he did, everybody was getting ready for all the explicitives and all the words that he used to use and he said, oh, thank you, Jesus. One of the guys said, what in the world are you thanking Jesus for? He said, I'm thanking him this wasn't an ax. <laughs> We've all probably used that expression at some time or another. He got the nail on the head. But it's not enough to hit the nail on the head. You must hit it just right so that the nail goes in straight. That's the real word sense behind nailing it. It's related to the idiom hitting the nail on the head used to mean you've said or done the exact right thing. I'm here to tell you tonight when Jesus was nailed on that cross, the Bible said he nailed it. He nailed our sins on the cross. He did the exact right thing. No wonder the devil wanted him to come down and no wonder those that were mocking him said, hey, if you really are the son of God, then come down from the cross. Even one of the thieves said, save yourselves and save us. But you see, if Jesus had come down from the cross and he had the power and he had the authority and he could have called for a legion of angels to pull the nails out of his hands, but you and I couldn't be here tonight. We would have had no chance of repentance had there not been a nailing to the cross of our sins. I believe he nailed it, don't you? The Bible said he took those sins out of the way, nailing them to his cross. Jesus dying on the cross is a type of us dying out to sin in repentance. Matthew 10, verse 21 through 24. Let's look at this together. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed. 
and be raised again the third day. Now, Peter, he was the kind of outspoken type. You didn't have to worry too much about what Peter thought because you hang around him long enough, he'd tell you. And he said, took him and began to rebuke. Can you imagine somebody rebuking Jesus? But he came and took him and rebuked him and said, be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. You see, he didn't understand that Jesus came not just to set up a kingdom on this earth and destroy the Roman Empire. That's what the Jews thought the Messiah would do. But he said, this world is not my kingdom. Come on, well, the devil tried to offer him all the kingdoms of the world. If he'd bow down and worship, the devil didn't have enough sense to know that Jesus already owned it all. Hallelujah. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The silver and gold all belong to him. And so it was that Jesus had to rebuke Peter. And he says, get behind me, Woo. Satan. <laughs> he wasn't calling Peter Satan. He just knew that the spirit of the enemy had gotten a hold of Peter and blinded his mind about the mission that Jesus was here for. You see, the devil's got a mission that's to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus said, I'm come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. But in order for us to have life, he had to die for us. Now I want you to watch this. He said, get behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not. You do not understand the things that be of God, but those that be of men. You're looking at this through the carnal eye, but you're gonna have to see that there's some things that God has ordained and without my sacrifice, without me being nailed to the cross, without me being the Lamb of God who dies for the sins of the world, there will be no kingdom of God. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, as if to put emphasis on what his mission was, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Did you know that every one of us have a cross? Did you know that every one of us need to nail it? A few years ago, some of you might have heard or even watched the movie, Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of Christ. And it stirred up quite a controversy. The Italians got offended at him because they perceived or it was portrayed in the movie that the Romans were the killers of Jesus. And they began to point at the Jews and said, we only did what the Jews said. And then the Jews were offended because they were portrayed as the ones who killed Jesus. One of our apostolic pastors, I won't mention any names. I don't think it was probably maybe the wisest thing to do. But anyway, if he felt led of the Lord, who am I? to question it. He put a, up a great big billboard during that time when it was such a, it made a international uh, headlines almost, this controversy over this movie of the killing of Jesus. 
And he put up a great big billboard there in the city where he pastored and said, the Jews killed Jesus. <laughs> and he gave scripture. You have taken him and crucified him. And they were the instruments, I would say, that he used. But I'm here to declare to you who really killed Jesus. Let's look at John 10 and verse 18. And let's, let's see who Jesus said did it. How many thinks Jesus ought to know who did it? He wasn't blaming the Romans. He wasn't blaming the Jews. Matter of fact, he declares, no man taketh my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power or authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Everybody say nailing it. Jesus said no man can take my life from me, but I lay it down. Woo, hallelujah. Now looking at this, according to Jesus, if we're to be saved, we must deny ourselves take up our cross and follow him. Now, if that is a true shadow and pattern of the plan of repentance, Jesus dying and us repenting by dying of our sins and taking our cross and nailing it, then I want you to notice something. It's up to you and you alone to repent of your sins. You must be the one to say, no man can make me repent. No man can repent for me, but I've got to lay the sin down. I've got to take up the cross and I've got to nail it to that cross. I believe tonight that many people have the false impression that, uh, well, I'm living for God and I've turned my life around because the preacher told me that's what I need to do. I, I, I can't stand it when young people get asked a question, why do you dress the way you do so differently, so modestly? And they go, uh, well, my preacher makes me do that. Or that's what my church tells me we've got to do. Let me tell you something. You don't got to do anything, but you get to do something. You get to lay it down. You get to be the one to say, you know what? The preacher cannot live this for me. My brothers and sisters can't do it for me. I'm the only one. A preacher can preach to me. A preacher can baptize me. God can fill me with the Holy Ghost, but I'm the only one that can repent of my sins. I've got to take up my cross. I've got to lay my sin down. And I think too many times we want to push that off on somebody else. I've even heard folks put it off on God and say, well, when God gets ready, he'll reach down and save me. Honey, he was ready before you was ever born. But he's not gonna force his will on anybody. Do you hear me? He says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If any man hear my voice, let him come and open the door and I will come in and sup with him and he with me. Romans 6 verse 1 says, What shall we say then? 
Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? You see, there was a, the doctrine of grace was that we were saved by grace. But if grace was all it took for us to be saved, the mercy, the compassion, the love of God, that he would lay down his life for us at Calvary, then everybody in the whole world would automatically be saved because Jesus laid down his life. But he said, when we are given grace, God forbid that we continue in sin that grace may abound. We know the scripture says where sin doth abound, grace doth much more abound. That doesn't give us a license to go out and say, well, I'm going to sin a whole lot so I can have a whole lot of grace. Is anybody old enough to remember when you used to get whippings for doing stuff wrong? Yeah. And, and you know, the first one was pretty bad, but if you went and did it again, Look out because they're going to say, hey, I guess I didn't give that first one too good. I'm going to really show you what's going to happen if you keep this up. Brother Danny was talking about God giving us chance and time and chance cometh to all and, and how many times God has given us opportunities to repent and chances to repent and we pushed it off or, or, or done, maybe repented and went back and did the same thing the next day. Listen, I don't like ghosts. The only ghost I like is the Holy Ghost. But there's a lot of ghosts going around evidently because folks saying they died out to sin in the altar and the next day they're right back out doing the same thing again. We don't sin just because there's grace. We don't sin because of the mercies of God. The Bible said, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. For how shall we that are dead to sin? Whew. That's why I'm saying, if you're dead and then you're still doing something shouldn't be doing, then you got a ghost going around. It's not the Holy Ghost. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? That doesn't mean that we're never going to sin. We all sin and come short of the glory of God. We may even change our way of sinning and our sins used to be things we did to commit sin, but there's also sins of omission. The Bible said to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. But what he's talking about is living in that sinful stage, living and continuing in sin. How, that, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer or continue doing those same things. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his what? His death. Understand that the death of Jesus is our type of repentance when we die out to sin. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism. We're buried in the likeness of his burial when we go down in the watery grave in Jesus' name that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life 
when we get resurrected, God fills us with the Holy Ghost. That's a type of the infilling of the Holy Ghost. The old man's died, was buried. There's a new man now that's walking in my shoes. There's a new man now that's living in my suit. The old things are passed away. All things become new. I'm telling you, when you totally surrender to Jesus and follow him, you're going to take up your cross and nobody can do it for you. You're the only one. Wow, you're the only one. You can't repent for me. How many has had such a burden for people you wanted to just give them the Holy Ghost? <laughs> I prayed through, my wife and I, we, we preached revivals all over the country for years and there were some folks, we'd stay there at a midnight or later and we'd just try our best. Boy, we want, said if I could, I'd just give them the Holy Ghost. One thing is wearing me out. Praying, praying, and praying, and praying. It seemed like it just couldn't get anywhere. But I can't give you the Holy Ghost. Only God can give you the Holy Ghost. I can baptize you in Jesus' name, but only you can repent. How many of you realize repentance is a gift? The Bible said, so hath God given them, granted unto them the gift of repentance. Speaking about the Gentiles, the Gentiles who had no hope, the Gentiles who were not a people, God granted unto them the gift of repentance. When we think about that, God gives us the opportunity to lay down our lives. And he's simply saying, if I lay down my life for you, you ought also to lay down your life for the brethren. What we're looking at today is some people that'll say, Lord, I'm not going to blame anybody. It's not the Romans that killed you. It's not the Jews that killed you. But you laid down your life. You had the authority. You laid it down. And if you laid it down, you could raise it up again. And I'm thankful that he did. I'm glad he arose. Hallelujah. It was a sad three days for his followers. But all of a sudden, when he came out of that grave on the third day, there was a powerful explosion of light that burst forth until the, the keepers of the, of, the, of the tomb fell over like dead men and were almost like petrified stone when Mary and the others came they looked in there and thought the gardener had taken him. They didn't know what had happened. It still hadn't been revealed to them that Jesus said, and the third day I will rise again. I'm simply telling you that when we truly repent of our sins, there's a promise. Hallelujah. When we get baptized in Jesus' name, there's a promise. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promise is to you and to your children and all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. But everybody say, I've got to nail it. It's in my hands. Even God will not repent for you. If we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. He goes on to say that henceforth we should not serve sin for he that is dead is freed from sin. 
Now, if any be dead with Christ, we believe that we, all, we shall also what? Live with Christ. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Everybody say, nail in it. Galatians 5 and 4 said, And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. Everybody say, nailing it. Crucified the flesh. Now, we don't like to talk about that. We don't like to think about it. And I believe Jesus can relate to us because anybody ever heard the Garden of Gethsemane? I'm sure the saints and pastor that just visited the Holy Land, that was one of the highlights of their visit. It was mine. I remember when my wife and I walked into the Garden of Gethsemane in the Mount of Olives, overlooking Jerusalem. You can be on that mountain and look over the Kidron Valley and see the city of Jerusalem. It's not that far away. I believe it was there that Jesus had a habit of going to pray because that's where Judas knew where to find him when he went to pray. And I believe it was there that he sat one day and looked out over the hills of Judea and saw the city of Jerusalem and said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how oft would I have gathered you under my wings? But what? You would not. I want everybody to just take one finger and hold it up. It's so easy for us to point it like this. But I want us to point it right here and say, The buck stops here. The nailing has got to take place here. I can't blame anybody if I'm lost. It's going to be my fault if I'm lost. If I go to hell, I can't put the blame on anyone else. I have to repent of my sins. I have a cross, and Jesus said, you've got to lay it down and take up your cross and follow me. I've got some things, Brother Don, that I've had to nail to the cross. I've had some sins come up in my life. I've had some things rise up that the devil tried to destroy me with. And I realized the only way to get victory over this, you've got to crucify the flesh. Oh, it's not a, it's not a happy thought. It's not, I, I'm telling you, when Jesus prayed that night in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible said his sweat became as great drops of blood. And here was his prayer. There was... Years ago, there was an old country song come out and said, thank God for unanswered prayers. Well, I thank God this one was unanswered because here was the prayer of Jesus. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. I'm not about to try to go into explanation of crucifixion. No wonder the Jews were offended and the Italians were offended when they watched Mel Gibson's movie because it shows such gory detail. 
that nobody would want to be guilty of what they did to Jesus. But in reality, it was our sins that nailed him to the cross. But Jesus was willing to say this, nevertheless, thank God for a nevertheless, not my will, not the will of this flesh, but thy will be done. God's mercy took over that night. And Jesus, I'm telling you, didn't want to have to go through the suffering of a Golgotha Calvary of a crucifixion any more than you or I would. But he loved us so much that he was willing to lay it all down and he nailed it. He hit the nail on the head. Jesus did it right. Woo, hallelujah. How many of you want to do it right tonight? I mean, he's got a desire. I'm going to serve you, God. I'm going to live for you, God. I'm going to die out to this whole world of sin. It's the only thing that no one else can do for you. You've got to do it yourself. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. 2 Peter 3 and 9 tells us what the will of God is. You know, a lot of people question, how do I know the will of God? But right here is the living will. This is the New Testament. The testator died, was buried, and rose again, and he left us his will. Many times knowing the will of God is simply reading what his word says. 2 Peter 3 and 9. Somebody might make the expression, well, what if it's not God's will for me to be saved? Watch this. The Bible said that in this chapter that in the last days scoffers shall arise saying where's the promise of his coming for all things continue as they were. But it goes on to say that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness but is long-suffering to usward. Look over at your neighbor and say, God's long-suffering with us. He's long-suffering with us. Not willing. If you want to know what God is not willing, what his will is not, not willing that any should perish. Did you know that if you go to hell, it'll be against the will of God? God's not some mean, horrible judge with a sledgehammer waiting to hit you over the head when you stand before him and send you to hell. No, he doesn't send people to hell. They go to hell because they chose to. Because only you, as the young preacher preached Sunday, I set before you good and evil, life and death. Choose life. Choose the good that you may live. God has set before us. We can either die out to sin or live in sin. But if you live in sin, you'll die the second death. But if you die out to sin, you can live eternally with Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Notice what he said. It's not his will that any should perish, but that what? Here is his will, but that all should come to repentance. That's nailing it, folks, right there. 
You want to know what the will of God is? The will of God is that you take up your cross and follow him. The will of God is that you crucify the flesh with the affections and lusts thereof. If you're battling addiction, if you're battling bad habits, if you're battling the old flesh, and every day we do have to battle it, but if you're battling something um, you're not going to ever, you're not going to ever overcome it by cuddling in it and holding it up to you. It just doesn't work. He said, you got to lay it down. I know that's not easy. It wasn't easy for Jesus to lay it down either. He said, if it be possible, I'd like to get out of this without having to do that. But it wasn't. Why? Because sin the wages of sin is death, and the only way to kill sin is to kill death. And we die out to sin when we repent of our sins. It's God's will that we all repent, but we must choose to do so. No one can do it for you, and no one can do it for me. I've got a decision. I've got a choice to make. Isn't it amazing? God doesn't shove his will down your throat. God doesn't just come and make you live right. You see, God gave us a desire. How many is glad for a desire to serve the Lord? Without a desire, you probably won't make it. I'm just going to be honest with you. We, a lot of people live for God. There's three levels of service to God, whether it's attendance, giving, worship, prayer. There's three levels. The basic level is you do it because you've got to. The word says it, so I've got to do it. The second level is you do it because you need to. Because God's promised great blessings. And let's just, let's just say tithing, for instance. You can do it on the basic level. I'll do it because the word of God commands me to. I've got to do it. Or you can do it because I, I, I need the blessing. Because he said, if you'll do it, I'll open the windows of heaven and pour you out blessing. There'll not be room enough to receive. I need that blessing. But the third level is the one every one of us should strive for. Yes, we've got to do it. Yes, we need to do it. But the greatest level is I get to do it. It's a rewarding to me to be able to give to the work in the kingdom of God. We come to church sometime as if we are being prodded with a hot stick and somebody's saying, you got to go, you got to go. Or or, or we come because we need a blessing or we need a healing or we need to hear something from the word of God. But what's wrong with reaching up to that third level and said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. One thing have I desired and that will I seek after that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Let's strive for that third level. Not just I got to or I need to, but I get to. I want to. I desire to. And it's the same way with repentance. It's not the easiest thing to do. That's why so many preachers don't preach it much anymore. That's why so many churches never talk about it. 
There's even certain versions of the Bible that are called the bloodless. They don't, want, they don't mention anything about the blood. But I'm telling you, the sacrificial offering place and altar was a bloody place. And our altars of repentance. It's not easy for us to crucify the flesh and lay it down. But if we will, there's a tremendous reward. And that reward is called eternal life. And Jesus said, except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. It's not his will that we perish, but that all men come to repentance. Stand with me tonight. The musicians will come and let's sing a, a song. God would touch our hearts tonight. How many of you believe that the crucifixion was the supreme sacrifice of Jesus Christ? He did it because he loved us. I want to serve him tonight. I want to crucify this flesh tonight. Not because I just have to or I need to, but because I want to. I want to get to that point in my life where repentance becomes a gift to me. Not just a sacrifice, but a gift. If we can get to that point in our thinking, if we can reach that state of mind where Crucifying our carnal nature and our flesh is not a sacrifice. It's an honor to give it unto God. It won't be near as hard living for the Lord. Sometimes the reason people don't serve God is, well, it just, it's just too hard. It's just too hard. remember an old preacher telling me something years ago, a long time ago, stuck with me through the years. He said, if you live for God easy, it's hard. But if you live for God hard, it's easy. In other words, if you get up thinking about how hard it is to live for God and just I think I'll stay home tonight and just take it easy. The Bible said, woe unto them that are at ease in Zion because it's going to get harder and harder to come back. But when you wake up every morning and say, you know what? Living for God's the greatest thing in this world. Lord, help me to crucify my flesh today. In Jesus' name. Let the Spirit of Christ shine forth in me that others may see you and rejoice. I wonder how many of us tonight could get a new vision of what repentance is all about. Sometimes we come to the altar and we cry and shed tears and we're very sorrowful because of what we're having to give up. But what we ought to do is come and say, oh Lord, it's with great honor that I come and I give myself to you even as freely as you gave yourself to me.
Think about Abraham and Isaac. Here's an old man about nearly 120 years old. And he's told by the Lord to take his 17-year-old strapling youth, strong young son and offer him on the top of Moriah as a sacrifice unto God. And he goes up that mountainside and Isaac says, Daddy, here's the fire and here's the wood. Here's the knife. where's Where's the lamb? Abraham says, son, God will provide the lamb. But when they got to the top of that mountain, there was no lamb to be seen. Brother Danny, when Abraham said, son, you're the sacrifice. Don't tell me that 17-year-old strapping of a young man couldn't have whipped that old 120-year-old guy into submission. We was working last night over at the new sanctuary and I was trying to carry a piece of board up all them big high risers and had to step up like this and then balance. And, and, and then I, I watched over there and Brother Brad threw a whole sheet of plywood up and just started leaping one step at a time over all them things. And I said, man, I remember when I could do that. <laughs> Isaac could have whipped his daddy. But Brother Benny, I believe he laid down on that altar and said, Daddy, if that's what God says to do, gladly I give myself. He willingly sacrificed because it was like Jesus. He became our substitute. Just as Abraham's getting ready to kill him, there comes that old ram stuck over there, bawling over in the bushes and God stopped him and said, now I know you won't stop at anything. How many of you would like to be an Abraham and say, God, I stand by faith on your promises. The Bible said in Hebrews that by faith Abraham offered Isaac knowing full well that if he did kill him, God was able to raise him back up because he said, this is your promise. If you want a closer walk with God, if you want to get victory over the flesh, if you want to be willing to, and are able to crucify that old man, I challenge every one of us tonight, take up your cross and walk down here and nail it. Nail it. Praise God. Whatever that sin is, the Bible said that sin which doth so easily beset you and those weights, I, I challenge you to lay them down at the foot of the cross of Jesus and nail those things to the cross and say, Lord, no more. No more will I look at repentance as a sacrifice. I look at repentance as a joy, as a worshiping way of praising you. It's my honor, Lord, to crucify this flesh. No man can take it from you. No man can do it for you. Only you can offer that supreme sacrifice of the flesh. Lay it down. Lay it down in Jesus' name. Oh God, we come to you right now.
Jesus. Let's clap our hands unto the Lord and thank Him for going all the way for us. You went all the way, Lord. You nailed it, Jesus. You nailed it, Jesus. We want to nail it also, Lord. We want to do it right, God. Give us the right frame of mind, we pray. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. God bless you tonight. You dismissed in the lovely name of Jesus.